Good morning. Don't you love Jesus? I love Jesus. I love the Word of God. I love the church. It's a wonder. I'm a corn cob. It'll take you long to figure that out. I've had the privilege of pastoring that church out in the middle of a cornfield for 36 years. I've done this for about 40 years, and I still get nervous every single time. It's the Word of God, and you are all the people of God, and it matters. Amen? We're going to jump into the Word of God. So get your Bibles. Find 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13 is one of the most intriguing, fascinating stories in the Bible and and all the Old Testament. I read this story and I go, wow, we're going to look at it. And if you want to go ahead and be thinking about it, we'll move into 2 Timothy as we wrap up this morning. And I've titled our time together, The Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. And if you take notes, Mark in your Bibles, I hope you do. I'd encourage you to take notes. But one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Romans 15.4. Romans 15.4 says, Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And so that tells me that when I read stories in the Old Testament, they're to encourage me. They're to teach me. I can learn things from the Old Testament to give me understanding about truth in the New Testament. And I'm a teacher. You'll probably figure out I'm not much of a preacher. I'm a teacher. And I love to teach the Bible. I have the privilege. I meet with 15 different men in our church every week. And we do breakfast Bible study for an hour, hour and a half before they go to work. I'm up and out and sitting down for breakfast with a guy at 6 a.m. every morning of the week. And we study the Bible verse by verse, book after book. And I love it. I never get tired of it. Just absolutely love it. And then I've got several for lunch and a few for supper during the week. And it's a joy to teach men the Word of God. I say all that to say that I strongly believe the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And the best place to find illustrations, word pictures, is the Bible. And the better you know the Bible, the more you can understand all of the Bible. And so this is an amazing story. Let's look at it in 1 Kings chapter 13. Let me give you a little background. It's a dark time in God's country, Israel. It's a spiritually dark time. It's a troubled time. It's an unstable time. Can you relate? I don't know about you guys. I can relate. Amen? Our nation is not in a good place. Our culture is in a dark place. There's a lot of tension, a lot of strife, a lot of division. These are dark times in our culture and in our land. And a tough time for the church, the people of God. And it was a tough time as we come to this story in 1 Kings. King David was blessed by God. He loved God. King David never had any other God. His heart never turned to any other God. He's exalted all the way through the scriptures for his devotion to God. His son Solomon started out great. I suspect a lot of you you know the background. He started out great, but in his old age, he lost his way. And we read that he turned to other gods. He's building altars and offering animal sacrifices and worshiping demonic and pagan gods. And so God sends a prophet and says, I'm going to tear the kingdom in two. I'm going to tear it apart. And he sends him to a guy named Jeroboam, which means the people are protesting. The people are complaining. That's what his name means. The prophet says, tear this cloth into 12 pieces. They tear the cloth into 12 pieces. He says, you take 10. God says, I'm going to give you 10 of the tribes of the nation of Israel, and I'm going to save two for David's family. So Jeroboam takes 
over in the northern ten tribes of Israel. And God said, if you'll honor me, if you'll serve me, if you'll follow me, I'll bless you. What did Jeroboam do? He did not follow God. He created his own religion. He created his own practice. He fashioned two golden calves and put one at the southern border and one at the northern border. And at the southern border, at a place called Bethel, which means the house of God, he erected this great big altar where they burn animals, offer sacrifices to a golden calf. Things are dark. We'll talk about a little more as I get into this. We live in a day where the government's trying to tell us how to worship. We live in a day where the government thinks they can dictate how we gather, even how we sing. And here's the king. He's dictating what worship's going to look like in his nation. And here comes a prophet, a man of God, a man of God. As we go through this, again, if you mark your Bible, circle it. Put a little mark by it. Do something. Over and over and over. Man of God. Man of God. How many of you agree with me? We need men of God. We desperately need men of God in our day. We're never told this man's name, but he's referred to as the man of God. Over and over and over. Verse 1. Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. Circle that. The word of the Lord. You're going to hear that over and over and over. And that's why I called our time together this morning simply the word of the Lord. The man of God, he arrives at Bethel, sent by the word of the Lord. And there stands King Jeroboam by this altar that he's built. He's burning incense. And this man of God walks up and he cries out against the altar by the word of the Lord. Altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priest of the high places who burn incense on you. And men's bones shall be burned on you. Wow. They're in the middle of church. King Jeroboam, government religion, getting ready to do his thing. And here comes a man of God by the word of the Lord. And he cries out and he curses that altar. And he prophesies and says, have altars. The destiny's not good. The destiny's not good. He even is so specific that a child is going to be born and be given the name of Josiah. Anybody know how long it was before Josiah was born? Over 300 years. Three centuries will go by. Is God's word true? Even though I don't see it today, I don't see it tomorrow. I'm almost 65 years old and there's things I haven't seen, but I know they're going to come. I know they're going to happen. Because God's word is true. But this prophet, this man of God says, and just so you know that this is the word of the Lord, watch. That altar is going to split in two. And the ashes are going to spill out. Right now, right here, today. And that's what happened as you read along there. I'm not going to read all of it. And the king is standing there and says, arrest that man. Tricks out his hand, arrest him. And immediately God struck Jeroboam and his hand froze. This is an awesome story. We've got pastors being arrested and locked up all over the place. In our country, Canada, they're carrying them away to jail for honoring the word of the Lord. And I don't know, I'd kind of like to see God freeze some government fingers. And the altar split. The ashes ran out. And King Jeroboam is not quite so brassy. He's, oh, man of God, man of God, would you pray to your God? Would you pray to your God? And that's remarkable to me because 
God has spoken to Jeroboam himself and said, if you'll trust me, if you'll obey me, if you'll turn your heart to me, I'll bless you. I'll bless your family. But here he says to the man of God, he's not my God. He's your God. Would you pray to him? I know he's God because look what he did. Look what he did. And maybe he'll have mercy. And the man of God prays. And God heals Jeroboam's hand, his arm. And now Jeroboam's got a different tune. He says, hey, come home with me. We'll eat well. We'll drink good stuff. I'll even give you a reward. And this is where this story gets really, really good. Verse 8, the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread or drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way, and he did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. No, Jeroboam, I'll not go home with you. I'll not fellowship with you. There's nothing in Israel, there's nothing in Bethel that I'm going to have fellowship with. God has commanded me to separate myself. That's all. Entirely different sermon. But there's a sermon there. And God said, no, and I'm not going home with you. And there's no amount of money or temptation going to bring me to sit down and have fellowship in Bethel. And he goes on his way. And then this story gets very intriguing. An old prophet dwelt in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told their father the words that he would spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. He said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it. And he went after the man of God, found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. It's only six miles from Judah to Bethel. Why the man of God needed a rest break is something of a mystery. It's only six miles. But he's parked under the oak tree, taking it easy. And what on earth is compelling and motivating this old prophet to go find him. It's almost like, as soon as he hears it, i got to go find him, i got to go catch him, i got to go find this guy. The old prophet says, come home with me. Come have some food, some drink. Eat some bread. We'll drink well. And the man of God says, no, I cannot return with you, nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread, nor drink water with you in this place. For I've been told... By the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water. You can't do it there, and you're not even to go back the same way you came. Get yourself home. But the old prophet says, well, I'm a prophet too. And an angel came to me. An angel came to me by the word of the Lord. And the angel said, bring him back to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. Again, if you mark your Bibles, I encourage you to make notes. He was lying to him. He was lying. This intrigues me. This is one of those times where I read in the Bible and I go, God, what is going on? Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth. The old prophet lied. And he claimed that he had revelation from God. He had the word of the Lord delivered by an angel. And he's outright lying. But the man of God, the prophet from Judah, says he went back with him ate bread in his house, and drank water. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. That old prophet, this time he really does have a word from the Lord. 
He really is speaking for God. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord. And you just keep circling the word of the Lord. In my Bible, it's highlighted over and over and over. It's ten times the word of the Lord. You have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you. But you came back, you ate bread and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. So your corpse, when you die, you're not going to be buried with your fathers. Which is a way of saying you're not going to make it back to Judah. You're not going to make it home because you disobeyed the word of the Lord. This is serious stuff. So it was after he'd eaten bread and after he'd drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. And the prophet from Judah leaves and heads for home. In verse 24, a lion met him on the road and killed him. One pastor I listened to said, you know this is true because it's too crazy to be fiction. And it gets crazier. A lion attacks this man of God and kills him, but he doesn't touch him. He will not touch him. We're going to see that the lion actually stands guard over his body. Isn't that crazy? And the donkey that the man of God was riding, he stays right there. I don't know. You all been around animals. Donkeys don't stay in the same place with a lion. Donkeys just don't stand still when there's a lion. The lion stood by the corpse. And men passed by and they saw the dead body thrown on the road. And they saw the lion standing by it. And they went into town. They got news. You know what we just saw? Right out there, not very far out, there's a dead guy in the road. And there's a lion standing by him and a donkey standing by him. I think they drew a crowd. I think they drew a crowd. Verse 26, the old prophet, he heard about it. And immediately he knows that's the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. So he says again to his sons, get the donkey, get it saddled up for me. And he rides out there and there's the man's dead body laying in the road. There's the lion standing guard. There's the donkey waiting. And he picks up the dead prophet, throws him on the donkey, and he takes him home. And he says, put this man's body in my tomb. They have above ground tombs. I've been to Israel. I've visited those tombs. I've even seen bones in those places. They're all over the place in Israel. They're limestone and they put dead people in them. And Mother Nature does her thing. But he says, throw his body in there. And then when I die, I want you to bury me right next to him. Throw my body in there next to his bones. Because what he said, what he proclaimed, what he cried to Jeroboam, it will come to pass. And the day will come when they're going to break open these tombs and they're going to take the bones of dead prophets, false prophets, evil prophets, and Josiah, the godly king, will burn those bones on that altar and then destroy that altar to the glory of God. And this old prophet knew that. And if you go and read the story, that's exactly what happened over 300 years later. They're busting open the tombs. They're getting the bones of these priests and burn them on the altar. But that particular tomb, they're told, no, those are the bones of the man of God. Those are the bones of the man of God. Don't burn them. And they don't burn them. Nor did they burn the bones of the old prophet that was buried beside him. 
did Jeroboam take all this in and say, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn to the true and living God. Don't you marvel? I marvel. I've been a pastor a long time. I've, I've tried to help a lot of people for decades. And I've seen God touch people's lives. I've seen God bring his word and open their minds and their hearts to understand it. It's a marvel to me. Jeroboam heard the word of the Lord. Jeroboam was touched by God. Jeroboam had a promise from God. But he stiffened his neck, hardened his heart, and rebelled against the word of the Lord. And he becomes probably the most infamous king in the Old Testament because he led the people into idolatry all the years. Israel, if you know your Bible, Israel never had a godly king. King after king, is, it says they were wicked like Jeroboam. The only one worse than Jeroboam was Ahab. But other than a great story, what's the point? Well, there's some good things to learn here. If you will, go with me over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is one of my favorite books of the New Testament and one of my favorite places to go with men, to teach men, to train men, to be men of God, to stand up and stand strong and not compromise. And the reason it's my choice book to go is because that's what the Apostle Paul is doing with Timothy. The Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, these are dark times. These are hard times. These are hard times for us today, but it's not new. Amen? People are spiritually lost and in the dark all around us. That's nothing new. Our government is corrupt. Our government is on the brink of being rogue in many ways. They've demonstrated that over the last couple of years. I think we've seen that they're pretty confident. They think they can shut the church down. Paul's telling Timothy, don't acquiesce. Don't compromise. Don't cave in. Don't fade into the shadows. Stay strong. This church needs men of God. This church needs women of God that know the word of the Lord. Is that okay? This church needs men of God. This church needs women of God that know the word of the Lord. You know it and you'll stand on it and you won't be persuaded to turn around and disregard it. It's under attack. It's always been under attack, but it's really under attack in an intensified way. Government religion is everywhere. So Paul told Timothy, don't cave in to the government. Don't cave in to the culture. I could throw statistics at you. I just looked one up again this morning. A recent 2019, only 24% of people interviewed across the United States believe the Bible is the word of the Lord. Only 24% of the people surveyed across the United States believe the Bible is the word of the Lord. That's tragic. That should concern you. Paul knew that Timothy was facing these things and that the word of the Lord was not to be compromised. So if you'll join me in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Timothy, hold fast. Don't compromise. The sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, the good thing which was committed to you, keep it. Keep that thing you have. Keep that deposit you have. Don't let it go. Don't compromise. Don't let some so-called pastor or preacher come and say, oh, but the Lord told me something different. You know, there's people out there that will use the Bible to manipulate other people. There's people that have developed a skill and a craft and a, and a lack of regard or conscience, and they'll use the Bible, they'll use verses 
to manipulate and control people. Just like that prophet manipulated that man of God. So what are you going to do? What am I going to do to not wind up being killed by a lion? Do you know there's a lion that roams the earth seeking whom he might devour? And he uses people. You know that? He uses governments. You understand that? What are we going to do? Paul says, Timothy, guard it. Guard it. Keep it. How? By the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Timothy, guard this deposit. It's going to come under attack. You're going to have really educated people, really eloquent people, really even spiritual people. They're going to try to undo you. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Stay in touch with the Holy Spirit. Stay in the Word of the Lord. We don't have a lot more time, but just slide on over into chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2. How do you do that? Men and women of God, how do you guard the deposit? You know, Paul's going to tell Timothy towards the end of this letter, he says, from a child, from a little child. You guys do Sunday school, right? You do upward basketball, right, with children? And you want that seed to be sown in their lives when they're little, when they're young. And Paul's going to say to Timothy in chapter 3, when you were young as a child, you heard, you were taught. Don't let go of it. Don't forsake it. Don't let somebody talk you out of it. I spent a lot of time with 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds in our church. And man, they, they're, they're, they're wrestling. They're struggling. Some of them have already headed to college. Some of them uh, getting ready to go. I meet with a young man for lunch every Monday, and he's going to graduate here in May, and he's already got plans. He's got his recommendations to go to the U.S. Air Force Academy. And he'll find out if he got accepted here in a couple of weeks or a month, and I pray a lot for him because i got a pretty good idea what he's going to face. And I'm going to say to him, guard the good deposit, and here's how you do it. Timothy, here's how you do it. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. How do you do that? Well, listen. The things that you heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You want to experience the grace that's in Christ Jesus? You want to experience a strength in your faith? You want to develop a confidence that can't be shaken by all the intellects? I dialogue with some really educated people, have for several years. Listen. Hear me right. They're educated fools. They're smart. They're not dumb. But they're educated fools because they don't know Jesus. And he's the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. Colossians chapter 2. And I kind of get a kick out of dialoguing with them. But listen to me, please. The way you grow, the way you stay strong is you pour into other people. You take this word of the Lord that you have received, that's been deposited in you, And you find someone and you pour it into them. And you don't put some special twist on it. You don't have to be creative. It's the word of the Lord. It's eternal. It's unchanging. Timothy, it's in that word of the Lord where you get the wisdom unto salvation. It's where you learn how to be saved and have eternal life. You pour that into other people. You look for other men. And guys, listen. This church needs men of God. Every church needs men of God. In these dark, troubled times, we need men of God who know the word of the Lord and that you can pour it into and you want to pour it into. You got children? You got grandchildren? Pour it into them. Teach them. If 
Find a brother. Ladies, you can do the same. That man of God in 1 Kings 13, if he'd had the wisdom to take a brother with him, he wouldn't have been killed by a lion. Find a brother. Please, I'm just encouraging you. Find a brother that stands by your side. Ladies, find a sister. Be that brother, that man of God. Again, it's a whole other lesson. But if you do a deep dive into the tabernacle of God in the wilderness, the, the walls of that little tabernacle were upright boards, and they stood two in pairs because it took two of them for them to stand up. As long as there were two of them, they weren't going to fall over. So listen, men, if you don't have a brother, get a brother. Get on your knees literally and pray and say, God, I need a brother because I want to be strong in the Lord. I want to be strong in the grace, and I want to guard the deposit. I want to keep what the word of the Lord has accomplished alive and well in me. Ladies, find a sister. Every one of us in this room need a brother, a sister. I have two men of God that stand by me all the time. Did you hear in the story about the sons? Did you note that? There were sons there. What did they see? What did they take in? What do you think that impact that had on them? Teach your children. Love your grandchildren. Men, be godly fathers. Be godly grandfathers. Ladies, the word of the Lord. May it flow in you. May it be alive in you by the Spirit of God. And send it out to your grandkids, your grandsons and your granddaughters, your sons and your daughters. Send it out. Send it out. And I can't quit without saying this. Paul says, Timothy, teach what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Listen, it's been well said. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And I love that about Paul because he says, Timothy, this isn't some new twist. This isn't some new revelation. This is the word of the Lord. You heard it from me. You learned it from me. You learned it from your grandma and your mom. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. Don't let anybody water it down, press it down and push it back. Guard the good deposit. And if they got something new, it ain't true. The word of the Lord. Again, Paul said to Timothy, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. It is the word of the Lord. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that who? The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is sufficient. It's perfect. It lacks nothing. It'll equip the man of God, the woman of God, the children and the grandchildren of God, hold fast, hold fast, continue, teach it, pour it into others. The Word of God, the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. How will you respond to the word of the Lord? How will you respond today? God's word requires a response. 
God's word requires a response or a reaction. You're either going to respond or react. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what we're talking about when we talk about having the Holy Spirit, you can. Just say yes. The word of the Lord, if the Lord is speaking to you, there's something going on inside of you. God who loves you is speaking to you, calling you, drawing you to his son. And you understand that you, you've got to say yes. You're going to say yes or no. I hope all of you have said yes to Jesus. But if you haven't, do it today. Do it today. Say yes to the word of the Lord. Say yes to the word of God become flesh and walked among us. Say yes to Christ Jesus. Let him save you from your sins, from your guilt. Don't get killed by a lion. Are you holding fast? Are you strong and unshakable? Are you bold and confident such that you share it with others? You invest in others? You strengthen one another? Or are you dull? I hope no one in this house that's like so-called Christians that only care about themselves. It's never about you and yours. It's always about Jesus and His. Always.